Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 61, Dear Woman. Yeah, this is an episode uh, topic that I've been meaning to do for a very long time with, but I also wanted to be very cautious with it because we are white women. We are not native. We yep. are not indigenous. It's so true. I wanted to make sure that I handled it with a lot of research and delicacy, which hopefully I did. I think you did. I had a really, really good time uh, learning about it and talking about it, I think more than usual. So yeah. I'm hopeful that uh, that folks really enjoy it as well. Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm hoping so. <laughs> and do you know who we enjoy very much? That would be our patrons. Our patrons. And welcome to our newest members. These are people who support us on Patreon, who give as little as $1 to see like behind the scenes notes and photos and live streams. And some of them get physical stuff. It's so cool. So welcome to Petra, Noel, Tracy, Emily, Kat, Leslie, and Rachel Dunn. And Rachel Dunn, it's your birthday. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. We love you. We love you. Good job. Good job living this long. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. And also good job to our supporting producer level patrons, Cami, Neil, Chandra, Philip, Julie, Sarah, Christina, Josh, Eeyore, Ryan, Shelby, Lynn, Mercedes, Sandra, Robert, Lindsay, Phil, Catherine, and Deborah. I love that song. <laughs> I know. I love it too. It's just the song of like steadfast, wonderful, like-minded listeners. Yes, and we love so, it so they're much. They're so beautiful and so perfect. And thank you also to our legend level patrons. We send them physical stuff every single month. And this month they got a book of mixology, which I don't know if we had an extra. It I might do. be at it's your at house. house. <laughs> oh, good. Because I really want to read it and take some notes. It's um, really good. As well as an ice tray with a little skull and crossbones. It's very cute. It's really adorable. So <laughs> Julia um, is often the one that picks out these items and puts together just a wonderful uh, like selection of stuff that we send out every single month to our legend level patrons. Yeah, it's mostly me going crazy with my Amazon wish list and then sending a bunch of links to a man and she's like we can afford these things this month she's like, thank you mom <laughs> so uh thank you also to leanne ashley shannon cassie and ashley marie for sustaining us at the legend level y'all you're so great so great so great and we actually wanted to do something a little bit different in terms of our recommendations and our sponsor support this week uh and we are dedicating this episode to the other shows that we do we uh recently made the sort of exciting decision to create a little like uh, brand name for the podcast that we produce. So we're calling it a production collective because it's just a bunch of our friends get together, make cool stuff. Um, and it is led by spirits, the show that you're listening to Yeah, join the party, the audio drama slash dungeons and dragons podcast that I am on with several of our friends, which is wonderful, which I think is very wonderful. Potterless where a 26 year old man, our friend Mike Schubert reads Harry Potter for the first time. Yeah. If you like all of our dumb Harry Potter references and would like to hear us talk in depth about Harry Potter in multiple episodes with Mike. Uh, Potterless is the show to listen to. Yeah, every member of Team Spirits, as well as Eric Silver, who is the DM on Join the Party and has been a, a frequent, a twice, a two episode guest on Spirits, um, have guested on Potterless, and we just enjoy it so much. Yeah, uh, Eric's episodes on Potterless were probably one of my favorites. Yeah, he did Order of the Phoenix, and it was uh, it was funny. There are lots of lots of shade being thrown at Wizard Christmas. Yeah. And also some real sick burns about Harry being a whiny high schooler. This is true. Oh, man, they're really this good. This is true. And finally, our new show, Waystation, yeah. which we launched uh, just a few weeks ago. So Julia, Eric Schneider, editor of Spirits, and uh, myself are watching one of our favorite TV shows of all time, Lost Girl, with mythology, with weird wigs, with a lot of queerness, with some like odd fairy politics. And we are just every other week watching a new episode, talking about it with you, and we would love for you to listen. So we're Waystation in any podcast app. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell the people the name of our cool podcast collective thing? 
The name is Multitude. And discerning listeners will know why. Why is it called that, Jules? Because we contain multitudes. And it's also, I learned learned recently, it's also a quote from your favorite poem, Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. Yes, Julia thought I made it up, which would have been wonderful. But I must give give credit to Walt Whitman. But that's the whole idea. And we are really, really stoked about it. It makes us really happy. You can find out more about us and the team and the shows at the URL multitude.productions. It's like, it's like .com, but .productions. And I was very happy about uh, about that, getting that URL. That's a good um, URL. Thank you. But uh, it's, it's an exciting time for us. It, I don't know. It feels to me like a commitment to doing podcasting, to doing audio, um, to, to making stuff for a living. And um, I'm I excited do. to be here with you, Jules, on this journey. It's always nice to be here with you, Amanda. Well, we hope that you check that out and that you enjoy it. But regardless, we hope that you enjoy Spirits Podcast, Episode 61, Dear Woman. So Amanda, this week we're going to talk about a topic that we've, I think we've, you know, been talking about doing on spirits for quite a while now. What topic is that? That is the dear woman. Oh, did we mention her in our 30 myths in 30 minutes? We did. First anniversary bonanza? We did. In February of 2017? Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. It was February 7, 2017. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was 16 for a second. I was like, nope, too far. Too far, too, too far. far. Too far. Um, but yeah, let's be real here. The like two minutes that I spent talking about the Dear Woman were not enough time. Ooh. It is such an interesting topic, and I really, really want to dive in deep. But first things first, I want to kind of give some disclaimers at the beginning of this episode. All right. To start off, this is an indigenous story. Um, you and I are both white women. Clearly we're not indigenous people. That's true. Um, I want to talk about the fact that I'm going to be using the term indigenous, uh, which refers to 600 plus different cultures that are all native to North America. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about one like monolithic culture because there is none. It's like a vibrant, you know, multicultural society. Extremely diverse, uh, like multiple societies, so many societies over all of North America. Yeah. And still to this day. Yeah. I'm also not going to be saying anything like the Native Americans believed because first off, that's past tense, which is silly because right. this is still beliefs living that culture. Are, yeah. Living culture still beliefs that are uh, practiced and valued today. Like I said, indigenous cultures are not a monolith. Uh, there are over 600 different Native American cultures and the story that I'm going to be telling only applies to a few. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean to tell this story the best way I can without meaning any offense. Uh, I'm aware that Native spiritualities are closed and not open to outsiders, so we would never encourage any one of our listeners uh, that isn't Indigenous to try and worship. Uh, rather, we're just telling these stories as a means of educating. Exactly. I like that perspective. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of cultural appropriation surrounding these topics and a lot of indigenous uh, beliefs. Uh, And I want to be very cautious because, you know, as white people, we've done a a lot of these cultures, a lot of harm. Yeah. The reason a lot of them, uh, you know, that that, you know, white folks view a lot of these cultures as being monolithic or being dead Mm -hmm. is because of the like centuries of systemic destruction, you know, yeah. leveled against them. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're aware that these are complex waters, but I think that shouldn't stop us from, you know, picking amazing stories and sharing them with a wider audience. Yes, I agree. Um, so we are going to discuss the dear woman. She's also sometimes known as the dear lady. And we did mention it briefly during our anniversary episode last year, the yeah. 30 myths and 30 minutes, which is which a great episode. It was a good episode. Yeah. I would encourage our listeners who perhaps maybe are starting with 
these episodes and moving backwards to take a look at that because it covered a lot of different stuff that we, you know, briefly mentioned. Yeah, it is really good for party stories. You can tell in about 30 to 90 seconds, uh, a very, very cool story. It's really a lot of fun. Um, so the Deer Woman has documented stories in quite a few different indigenous cultures, uh, including the Sioux, the Ponca, the uh, Omaha people, Cherokee, Muskegee, Seminole, Chukotau, the Oto uh, tribe, the Asage, the Pawnee people, and sometimes the Iroquois, depending on, wow. you know, different translations. And if I'm not mistaken, that's like geographically pretty diverse too. Yeah. So it tends to be uh, Great Plains areas and then some like Northeastern forest areas. Yeah. Iroquois. I know we learned about being from New York state, mm -hmm. you know, lots of like Iroquois traditions. Yeah. And we're stuff not going like to talk too much about the Iroquois in this just because I couldn't find a lot of first person accounts. And mm -hmm. that was what I was really striving to do do in order to like tell these stories because you know uh white scholars like white get scholar, a lot yeah. of shit wrong a lot of the times yeah. but when you're getting the stories directly from uh indigenous people i i feel more comfortable telling the stories that way so sure. you're gonna hear a lot of quotes from me in this episode that are from indigenous people rather than me taking it from scholarly sources smart so we're gonna, we'll go from there. Um, so the fact that it spread through a lot of different cultural uh, means, it has a few reasons, but we can mostly rationalize it as uh, the forced integration of indigenous people into white culture and then the misinterpretation of non-indigenous scholars. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so it seems vaguely to centralize the uh, around the eastern woodlands and the central plains. Uh, and like a lot of indigenous cultures, it is not accurately studied or documented. Yep. It, it's told within stories, but, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, indigenous cultures tend to orally transmit their stories, um, whereas they're not super written down a lot of the times. Yeah. So. And that's one of the ways in which, you know, colonization and, and like imperialism mm -hmm. are super shitty because yes. it, you know, imposed in this case, a like, you know, written evidentiary English language, you know, like documentable type version of history that is written by like the white male victors. victors. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, lost a lot. It loses a lot. Yeah. But like I said, we're going to take a lot of indigenous, um, perspective into account here when telling the story. Well, I'm excited to learn it from that perspective. Yeah. But because many cultures have this story, um, there's a few different versions that are told. Nice. Um, the first one that I want to discuss is a uh, Lakota Sioux man who is part of the USC Digital Folklore Archives, uh, which is a great database for folklore performances. And I highly recommend our listeners check it out. I'll put it in the show notes so that people can find it easily. As in University of Southern California? Yeah. Nice. Um, actually, a lot of the stories were coming out of California. Um, I guess there's a pretty large indigenous population in those areas, uh, subjectively compared to other parts of the country. So, and I think there's a lot of public arts funding and historical funding in California compared to other States. So I'm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so the man didn't give his name in this, but, um, we do know that it's a man. He's about 48, I think, and he's Lakota Sioux. So, um, here's the quote from him. Uh, when I was a kid, I was told this legend, and I've heard it many times. The Lakota believe this, and the other Plains tribes do too, as far as I know. There is a creature called Deer Woman, and she shapeshifts into a woman, a human woman, and she goes to powwows. A powwow is a gathering where you have dancing and food and things like that. They usually compete with the dancing. It's a native tradition. It's like a party. 
This is all his quote. Nice. And she'll be at the powwow all night as a beautiful woman. And the last dance is the rabbit dance. And it's a dance where the lady picks the man. And she'll pick whichever young man she wants and he'll dance with her. And she gets him to take her home. And when she's going home with him, she turns back into a deer. And it scares him. And, you know, bad things can happen. They say that part of the lore is when you're dancing with a girl you don't know, or even a girl you do know, always check her feet. Because deer woman, she shapeshifts, but her feet still remain a deer's feet. So under the bottom of her dress, because her dress is long, if you look, you won't see human feet. You'll see deer feet. That's an awesome image. I know. It's your favorite thing, too, where it's non-human people things. Animal Um, and human mixed. I I do really love the the trope, though, of like something remains, something carries over mm -hmm. when shapeshifting is imperfect or when, you know, werewolf transformation just begins. Like these are obviously all very different things. Mm -hmm. But that idea that like, you know, there is some essential truth or some like, you know, something that belies your your true form. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, There's also he mentions in a later story that I didn't uh, didn't quote that um, if you surprise her, you'll see her tail pop out like her little deer tail, (laughs) which I think is very, very cute. That's adorable and so charming. Also, I love that there's no specific like and then she murders him and she like sucks his soul out. Well, we're getting there. Well, in this case, it just seems it seems very pure. Like you don't never know what will happen. Don't go home with yeah. a strange woman. Um, so he goes on after this to describe that he heard of a man who went to a powwow, met a girl there, and he was supposed to take her home, but decided at the last minute that he wasn't going to because he had a girlfriend at the time. Smart. Solid choice. So he ditches the girl and leaves. And while he's driving home, a deer jumped in front of his car, which caused him to crash and totally wreck his car. Oh, my goodness. The man explains that he thinks that the moral of the story is to teach young men and women to be modest and not to just go home with anybody sure um and if you do they say check her feet because uh (laughs) that way you really know what you're going home with or who you're going home with i was thinking too like if i'm dancing with a pretty lady i'm not gonna be looking at her feet like i'm gonna be like you know looking Mm -hmm. at her face and other body parts and it's sort of interesting like okay well in the haze of lust or in the haze of infatuation you know take a moment and like assess you know and and, like pull your your eyes away from her transfixing eyes or face or whatever um that's kind of cool yeah um he also theorizes that the dear woman could sense that the man was having adulterous thoughts and that's why she targeted him Ooh, which is mark right yeah which gets into some interesting uh theories about you know is she kind of a weird succubus or siren type of spirit or, or psychic she, in some way or yeah um i think usually if one is in touch with the spirit world in which case the dear woman is because she yeah. is a type of spirit um she she can like tap into human emotions and stuff like that that's awesome i bet too a lot of animals too humans are just like so laughably easy to read mm-hmm. you know like body language is such a bigger thing in almost every other species than ours oh yeah for um, sure i imagine it, it's almost like like an ai that has to like live at human speed and they're like i'm doing 14 million things and you're just sitting here talking at me yeah um it is how an animal would feel looking at our dumb primate faces being like, I don't know. I'm kind of sad. Like, yeah, no, no shit. I got that from like the way your eyes crinkled. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. I, we tend to think of animals as like, you know, less, 
less in touch with like ideas, but you know, they have to, they have to read body language a lot more than we do. Yes. And like, you know, cause we're just, we're, we're dumb humans where we talk about it. It's stuff that bothers us. Yeah. Which but, is like, which is so imperfect, right? Like, like translating thought and emotion and, and whatever into language and then perceiving it back again in our own brains. Like a lot is lost in translation. That's right. why language is, is like, you know, has millions of words in it. Yeah. And then you add like texting into it and like, no one can read tone in text. Listen, as a, as a person with difficulty discussing my feelings, emoji have been a godsend and I very much appreciate <laughs> them. But point being, yeah, like animals, you know, with limited or no like verbal language ability, like have to be so much more perceptive. Yeah. And like we're just, that. we're just big and dumb. That's a really good point. Yeah. I really like that a lot. Um, so another version of the story is told by a indigenous, uh, journalist named Carolyn Dunn, uh, who tells the story of her family's Muskegee Seminole Cherokee heritage. Ooh. Um, so she was asked as part of an interview with mythic passages magazine, which, um, can we subscribe to that magazine? Yeah, I want to real bad. Uh, and I think this is back in 2004 or 2006. I can't remember exactly. Um, so she talks about the importance of animal metamorphosis in folklore and mythology. Oh, sure. Um, so she describes the deer woman as both a spirit and a woman at the same time. And that dichotomy she tries to explain is not problematic. It's just simply how the deer woman exists. Yeah. Like we are again, big dumb animals, uh, human beings, like limited to one plane of existence, but other beings can be, you know, things that are both. Right. Um, so she explains that the story of the deer woman is a puberty narrative. Huh. Um, so to quote, Miss Dunn says, she teaches us the correct way of behaving and especially the correct use of our sexuality in terms of our marriage rights. The gist of the story is that the deer woman is very beautiful, very enticing. It's easy for you to fall in love with her. If you notice that she's a deer, you look down at her feet and you can see instead of feet, she has hooves and you think, oh, this is deer woman and I know who I'm dealing with. So you're okay because you're able to think I can recognize who she is. But if you don't recognize who she is, you become totally enchanted by her, completely mm. enspelled by her, and she drives you to madness and some say prostitution and illness or disease which break with the community. Wow. Yeah. That is super interesting and a kind of like a sobering, right? Like a kind of looking up from the infatuation to say, okay, what am I actually doing here? Right. I think it, I really like this idea of it, it, like it's very much focusing both of the stories that we just kind of focused on. Um, it's all about like knowing a person. Yeah. Like as long as you know a person, you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Like a person doesn't have to be perfect for you to decide to like date or go home with them. You right, know, right. like if you, if, if you know what you're dealing with, you can make an informed choice, but if you don't, you can't. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I just really like that sort of imagery where it's like, as long as you're aware of your situation, you can figure out how to handle it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like e even, even from like a non dating perspective sure. or a non romantic perspective or what have you, um, knowing what you're dealing with makes everything easier. It does. Right. The unknown is, is so freaking scary. Yeah. 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 It is. I, I really like that concept a lot. <laughs> and particularly like, I think it's really fascinating, uh, the, the kind of puberty angle too, mm -hmm. which I always find to be such a gross word. Like I hear that word. I'm like, yes. Oh God, I'm sorry. I don't know if it's like, if it's like memories or if it's just the way that the word that was treated when we were kids, probably both. Yeah, I think probably both. It's almost like a whole new, like plane of interpretation and sensing is opened up. You know, when, if you see people sexually that when you start to do that for the first time, um, and 
you, I don't know, it, it can, it can be so overwhelming. Like it's, it's a thing that feels, I don't know, it's like a, a new toy or like a, a thing that is just so oversensitive and overly, um, weighted in your brain that it really does take someone being like, okay, no, slow down. Think, you know, this is not the only person you'll ever find attractive. This is mm. not the only opportunity you'll ever have to smooch and, um, and you know, take a second and think. So, um, especially in that time of just like, Oh God, what do I do? Or, Oh God, this thing is new. Let me, let me use it right away. Um, I think it, it makes sense that there is some kind of like cautionary tale, right. um, you know, not to make a pun about tales, well, uh, built in here. Uh, yeah. And I think it's really interesting because uh, the whole story is about teaching what behavior is acceptable within the community yeah, and like the consequences of what acting outside of that acceptable behavior will lead to, which I, I really, I really like just uh, as a societal thing, like building in your morals by like, by like creating the, like stay within these rules. And as long as you stay within these rules, that will, you know, you'll, you'll find success or you'll, you'll be okay. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of sex education yeah. a little bit yeah. where it's like, Hey, you know, as long as you know what you're doing, you're going to be fine. Uh, and like dealing with like pubescent teen boys who just like would want to run off into the forest with any girl that they find. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, you know, I've, we've all been there giving like fair warning, being like, there are consequences to your actions when it comes to sex or when it comes to deviating from what the community believes, you know, should be your priorities. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting use of mythology. I wonder if that's why so many fairy tales have kind of arbitrary rules, you know, like don't yeah. open this box, you know, get, get three of these, like don't stray off the path. Um, maybe it's a way of teaching kids that even if you don't understand the purpose of a rule, you still have to follow it because like rules are, you know, set by adults and like parents set limits on kids in ways that they don't think are fair or yeah. reasonable. But the fact is like people with greater reason have set them for a reason. Yeah. And so, you know, fairy tales, I don't know it, it just like it mythologizes following an almost like obscure, uh, rule set. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a way we're, we're taught to listen to the man, man. No, I really like that. And I think I, I saw something interesting about, um, someone was talking about parenting and they were saying like, it's okay to give your children like rule sets, but like explain to them why, even if they're not going to understand it or agree with you at the time, Yeah, because giving a reasoning will like stop rebellion because you gave a reason, even if they don't get it, they still understand that there is a purpose behind you saying, don't run in the street, not because I'm trying to oppress you, right, but right. don't run into the street because <laughs> you could get hurt or yeah. you can die. And like, you know, it's like an abstract understanding for a child. Be like, what is death? What is being hurt? I don't understand. Like, I know. Like the buck is still going to stop somewhere. Mm -hmm. But even if you understand some of the reasons and other reasons you don't, you know, it's it's treating kids a little bit like functioning members of, of society and the family, which I'm a fan of. Yeah. So the last story, uh, last version of the story that we're going to deal with um, is, comes from an interview with uh, Weshayat Alvitre, who is the co-editor of Dear Woman, an anthology, which Ooh. is a collection of illustrated stories that deal with violence and pay homage to the strength and resilience of indigenous women. So um, according to the U.S.-based Indian Law Resource Center, uh, indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average, are twice as likely to be stalked, three out of five will be physically assaulted in their lifetime, and one in three will be raped. 
Oof. So this is trying to um, raise awareness to that fact uh, by using a, a spirit that is resonating, you know, through different indigenous cultures. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing anthology and a really serious issue that gets overlooked, you know, so often. Yeah. And I think it may be available for free online, or at least I will link to a place where our listeners can buy it because it's really beautiful artwork and really like, like emotional, like comics and stories and stuff like that. And it's really, really nice. And supports a good cause. Yes, exactly. Um, so Weshayat Alvitre, um, she chose the Dear Woman as a representation for indigenous women in her anthology because many versions portray the Dear Woman as, and I quote, a powerful spirit being meant to remind us, people of creation, to remember our responsibilities, to tend the fire, and to be aware of the powerful forces that exist beyond the home place. Wow. Yeah. I, I really, really like that. So she's picking a, a much more positive portrayal of the Dear Woman than the two stories that we kind of showed before. Um, very much so the um, the Dunn story was sort of a boogeyman character that right. is used um, as a symbolism for puberty. The story of the Lakota Sioux man um, is definitely falling into that like bugbear, boogeyman mentality. Drop bear. Yeah, exactly. Continuing to describe the dear woman, um, she says, and I quote again, the story varies from tribe to tribe. I think this book is very interesting in that in some tribal affiliations, she's looked at as some sort of temptress. If men are doing something wrong in their lives, she extinguishes their life force and brings them back to the truth and the good ways. And in other traditions, she is a reminder that if you don't follow the ways, you will be lost. Hmm. In native mythology, the natural world and the spiritual world are intertwined. There is almost an empowering aspect to her. She is the figure that has sole control over whatever it is she is doing and over other people's lives as well. Oh, wow. I love that kind of duality of both preventative and also punitive yeah. uh, existence where she can, you know, punish people who have strayed, but also remind you in advance, like, hey, this is why we have tradition. This is why we have, you know, rules and ways. And it's a reminder if you have strayed, you know, I'm sorry, and you have to do something about it. And to those who have not, why you should not. Yeah, I like this as sort of like a, a sense of justice within this, oh, this exactly. system, which I, I, I'm not entirely sure if that's the term that indigenous people would use for it. But it's very much like if you break from the laws of society, if you break from the laws of nature, there is a certain amount of punishment that has to come with that. Um, that justice needs to be served. And it reminds me from a you know completely different uh, culture about La Lechuza and that kind of uh, interpretation you shared about La Lechuza as kind of coming for victims of domestic violence mm-hmm. to help them out um, and or to punish the perpetrator where, you know, if if this world has failed you in a way that it has failed so many indigenous people and women specifically, yeah. um, you know, that there is some kind of higher power, a different plane, you know, a way that the world and nature and your you know deities are looking out for you. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. Um, I, I just, I like the idea of, I, you know me, I love a, I love a good feminist icon. Hell yeah. And I like the idea of uh, the dear woman coming to protect 
uh, women who, you know, clearly, according to a lot of studies, suffer at the hands of other people, like both with and uh, within and outside of their communities in a lot in a way that is terrible, is like genuinely awful. And man, I, I, I just I always like a story that brings a defender along for people who are suffering. Exactly. So this goes with some stories that the dear woman is a benign or guardian spirit, as we mentioned before. So she said to also help women conceive children and is associated with fertility and love. Wow. Um, according to Washayat, the dear woman teaches us self-strength. I think she represents the raw essence of what it means to be female. Mm. Is this, you know, I love this interpretation. It's like, it's made for us really. It's not made for us because we're, we're white folk, but it is a story that we can look at and really find a lot of strength behind. Yes. And again, kind of drawing analogs or seeing similarities in our catalog of myths that we've studied mm-hmm. so far. Um, and I view it as that I view like a little like library card catalog or like little index cards of, of myths that we've learned about. Um, but it reminds me of Medusa a little bit too, where, yeah. you know, it's, it's tied up in violence and it's tied up in, um, you know, a kind of violent response to a violent offense. And we haven't gone really into the ways in which dear woman, um, you know, punishes people, mm-hmm. which I think that might be, uh, intentional, like maybe, maybe that's private. Maybe that's, um, something that is more kind of whispered about and like talked Mm -hmm. around, as we said earlier, the unknown is the scariest thing. That's 100%. And so if the consequences are unknown, like, oh man, that is even scarier than knowing that she'll like strip your skin off or something, you know? Yeah. It seemed from a lot of the stories that I was reading and from, uh, the different sources and stuff that it's very much like a bad things will happen. If you go with the dear woman, if you look her in the eyes, bad things will happen. Um, it's not very specific. And I like the idea of, you know, um, of private, like private, not damnation, but like private punishment. Yeah. Like we talk about a personal hell, right. And, and the idea, like if someone looks at you in your eyes and says bad things will happen, you know what that means. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, what's the most important to you. You know what you fear the most. Yeah, There's an image that comes to your mind the moment someone's like, well, bad things will happen if you do that. You're like, Oh, I'll fail all my t- like you yeah, know, yeah. Like, your brain goes somewhere. I'll fail die. all my yeah. tests. No, no, no. I'll crash my car. Um, I'll get fired or something like that. Like there's there's yeah something for everyone that is a, a painful punishment. And I have talked about this before, I think, but this is why I like audio so much. Is because when you describe things to people without a visual there to like. Uh, predispose them to something or reading, for example, you know, you picture if someone says like she was wearing her favorite coat, like I know what my favorite coat looks Mm -hmm. like, or, you know, she settled into her armchair and uh, whatever, put her feet up. Like you picture you doing that yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just really love that. Like, I don't know, it helps me like imagine myself in stories. It helps me kind of immerse myself in it so Mm -hmm. much quicker. Um, And I guess that works for scary stuff also. Yeah. And I mean that it reminds me that everyone is their own individual person that has their own individual thoughts, which we don't think about enough as human beings, especially in history, right? Where it's easy to say like, Oh, you know, they did this or people thought that, or, you know, society valued blank. And the fact is like it, people have always been people and, uh, culture has always been a lot richer than we, you know, think that it is in the retelling. Um, and this is, I think a really good example of like both a really specific myth, but also one that has lots of incarnations to lots of different people. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because history is such a finite lens. It is such a small lens when looking at the world. It's either like you are very zoomed out of the situation Mm -hmm. or you are very zoomed in because you have one person's personal accounts. Yeah. 
Um, so it, it, it creates this sort of skewed concept of what, what quote unquote people thought of right. like certain aspects. And that's, that's something I struggle with so much as a historian, someone who, you know, is reading these interpretations. Like, yeah, this is stories that this particular family or this particular indigenous culture passed down. How, how accurate that is? I don't know, because history is just a long game of telephone. Yeah. And it can get really frustrating at times, but it's also really, really interesting. And it's up to historians to kind of parse through all of the nonsense to figure out, okay, I guess we can make this assumption because enough people said it. I know, but also like, is there even a value in the objective truth? Because like human experience is always subjective. Like, okay, yes, there's value to it, but like, there is no, there is no objective reality. There is just like all of our realities that are happening simultaneously in, you know, 7 billion people's heads in this moment, mm -hmm. you know, like there, like, yes, you, I think about this sometimes, like if you think back to, you know, describe 2018 or describe like the, the events of my lifetime, um, however long it will end up being. And I hope it's very long fates. Um, but you know, we'll describe events. Sure. And we'll say in this year, this happened and, you know, this country, you know, came into being and, and this one merged with a different one. Um, but my experience of that, if like those events might not even touch my life. Um, and the things that I talk about almost certainly won't be what like a history book will talk about. Right. And I don't know, like that, that was my life. That was my reality. Um, I am talking about myself in the, in the past tense here, I guess, but no, like it, uh, it just, I, that's why I love literature so much is it's, it's, you know, one person's story. And it doesn't even matter if the story is real or not, but it's for a moment, like disappearing into someone else's head, seeing the world through their eyes. And I think really good historical fiction, really moving first person accounts in history books, um, you know, folklore and documentation thereof and people telling stories and having their grandparents tell stories like that is so much more powerful to me than reading a like, well, we put most stories together and most stories agree on these, you know, couple of facts. Yeah. It's like when you when you get that really good first person thoughts or really good uh, historical perspective, it's like everything else falls away. Yeah. And it feels like it feels like you feel, you know yeah. what I mean? Because you're sitting there, you're like, OK, I can imagine what the 1920s felt like, but I can't imagine what I would be like there. I don't know mm -hmm. what I would be thinking or what I would be doing or something like that until you get that really distinct first person account. Yeah. And that's another way in which, um, you know, injustice erases history, right? Yeah. Is that like only certain experiences are coded as valid right. and only certain ones are documented, mm -hmm. um, and, and passed along. And there are lots of ways in which, you know, stripping indigenous people of language and religion and culture and homes and schools, um, you know, removes the like natural passing along of these traditions that, you know, dominant society and white society got to keep. Yeah. Um, so I, I am all for like bringing more, you know, of these stories in, into the light. Yeah, I agree. I guess, speaking of which, uh, we can talk about a few other stories that are reminiscent of the deer woman. Ooh, I like it. The deer woman shows uh, characteristics similar to, uh, some other creatures from around the world. And you know how much we love a good comparative culture. Uh, oh, I roundup. super do. Um, so arguably the way that deer women are kind of portrayed, um, as a sort of temptress, we can kind of, uh, compare them to sirens or succubi, mm -hmm. um, because they lure men through a certain form of sexual conduct. And then once the men fall into their thrall, it usually leads to their death. And there's like a true form that isn't the illusion that does the seducing, right? Right. So sirens are part bird. Right. Succubi are 
I guess like some form of demon. Yeah. I was gonna say it's kind of demonic whether whether the eyes change or Mm -hmm. like the mouth is more pointy than normal. You know, Uh, there's some kind of mouth, some kind of (laughs) otherworldly pointy teeth in the mouth to be clear. But yes, no, no, I'm just picturing a really pointy (laughs) mouth now. Thank you for that. (laughs) You know, owl husband beak. It just, it happens to beak. Yeah. Anyway, but there's, there's something off, you know, in, in so many of these uh, versions of these myths. Yeah. Um, And then, so the deer women arguably lure men uh, with their beauty as well. Uh, similar to a succubi, um, though there is more of a moral lesson and a warning given in regards to dear women. Um, I, I strongly believe that there's like this kind of moral compass that comes more so with the uh, indigenous stories than with the uh, the succubi stories. Yeah, the, the succubi, succubi s- stories are just kind of like don't just don't have sex, just yeah, don't do it. Yeah, succubi story is like, well, you found a woman desirable. Sorry, <laughs> bye. Sucks. Go to <laughs> hell <know>? now. <laughs> Which again, like, is a form of empowerment, right? Like yeah. any, I mean, the the like sad fact is like so many sexual encounters for women end in death like like that yeah that is there that risk is there like mm-hmm. going home with a stranger is so much more risky for women than it is for men right and it, even more so uh women from disenfranchised uh groups yeah women of color indigenous women in particular mm-hmm. like the the statistics that you shared earlier like are so striking and so it is in a way a kind of like flipping of that narrative for the succubus or the siren to be like well this one time you thought it was going to end one way it ended a different way yeah and that's and what all these stories that i'm about to tell exactly. you are all that style and exactly. i love it and like you know to be I, i'm not like i don't think violence should be get violence like i'm not a super fan no, of, of like not. you know eye for an eye type punishment mm-hmm. but but like that is what stories are for yeah making people re-examine their perspective right and so like the first time i saw on the internet somewhere you know men are afraid women will laugh at them women are afraid men will kill them mm-hmm. like that that is genuinely like I think put into perspective the, the like unspoken way that we view the world for me and for a lot of men I know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, that is what stories help us do is be like, Oh wow. Like they cast into, um, our view either through like negative example or through, you know, satire or whatever, um, things that we, no, but don't speak about. Yeah. And I think that's a reason that I tend to be drawn to these stories where the roles are flipped Yeah, because it's so rare that that's the case in real life. And I kind of want to bring attention to the fact that like, Hey, there are instances where women are afraid that men are going to kill them. Yeah. So to have like mythology where it is the opposite, where like men could have an encounter with a woman where they fear for their lives too. Like I wouldn't, I don't want anyone to fear for right. their Perfect lives. World, but, no one would ever do that. But like, but put yourself in like our shoes, put yourself like through that lens for a minute and understand that like, it's not a supernatural occurrence for that. Like when the tables are turned. Yeah. What is like a funny thought experiment for one group is a lived reality for another. Yeah, for real. And I think that's kind of how a lot of these stories, you know, exist in the world and why they're such a common thing in a bunch of different cultures. And, you know, we've had lots of news stories this week and in previous months about high profile uh, men having done a lot of kind of forms of sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of very brave women coming out to to share their stories. And one criticism that I have seen circulated by people who I thought were kind of like minded to me is, you know, how how was he supposed to know that she didn't consent or how, you know, is he supposed to know that this behavior was creepy? ask she'll say it 
ask. Ask. Or also like half of the population has always spent their lives like trying to discern the motives of men, Yes, you know, and trying to be like, what's his intention? What does he think? Like having to read the room, having so much of like the jobs that I've had in the past is like, you know, scrying and then, uh, kind of dealing with the feelings of male bosses Mm -hmm. and like that, like having a kind of serving role, subservient role. Um, like we interpret cues all the time. Yeah. And so a lot of, I don't know, just the people are like finding it so objectionable and scary to think, wow, people don't always just like come out and say what they mean. I have to be, you know, proactive or defensive or thoughtful or, you know, look out for things that I'd otherwise, you know, prefer not to talk about or think about like, yeah, yeah. You know, we do. We have all the time. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Okay. I'm just getting stressed out thinking about this. Um, We're going to move on to uh, another spirit that is similar to the deer woman. And that is the Fiora, which is a story native to Chile, uh, which causes deformities in anyone that looks upon her. And she will cast spells to confuse young woodsmen to sleep with her. And she is like a woodland creature. She's like, like a what woodland is her? spirit. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Which is like scary. Oof. Like kind of kind of vaguely witchy, but mostly spirity. Yeah. Is the way that they describe her. And her effects sound like a kind of combo of Dear Woman and Medusa, you know, or yeah. kind of similar um, stories where one is like changes your life forever and one is like might end up very badly or <laughs> might let you go. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty much it. So another story that comes out of Colombia actually is that of La Patasola, uh, which translates to one-footed. Ooh. Uh, and she is a shapeshifter that takes the form of a beautiful woman to lure men with her cries of fear. Oh, no. Uh, when men, usually they're working in her forest, chopping down her trees, um, they come to find her. She drops the beautiful woman mask and then slaughters them in order to protect her forest. <gasps> Wow. So like appealing to chivalry in a way or like a protective instinct. Mm -hmm. But if she's a spirit related to forest or trees, like Mm -hmm. she's going to protect what's hers. Yeah. It's like her children. It's like a mama bear situation. Wow. Which I really, really like. I was uh, interested in the fact that I was thinking like the deer woman would have some kind of tie to nature specifically. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's one of those ways in which like native spiritualities are so like immersed in and of and like inextricable from the environment Mm -hmm. that it's almost like that's the setting for everything instead of like so much of Western mythology is like in the forest, this happens. And in like, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, you know, society, different things are the case. Which is interesting too, because if we look at the stories of the deer woman that uh, I talked about, she's coming into indigenous culture rather than indigenous people having to go into nature in order to find her or to, um, to interact with her. Yeah. I mean, from my understanding, it is, it is so much like human life, you know, in, in native worldviews is lived like in and of, and because of, and with, you know, the environment. And so it's less like a thing that you journey to and from and more like a thing that suffuses your entire existence and context. Right. Exactly. Look at how we feel, uh, when we talk about like nature in European folklore. Exactly. It's it like the forest is something that you go into, that you traverse through, that yeah, you have to deal with. It's scary. Yeah. You can like go home when you're done with it and you leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is a very like, you know, conquering, imperialistic, kind of exploitative view of a thing that actually we all come from and will return to right. and live among. Yeah. I, I, I really like, that was a good point to bring up. I really appreciate that. I wonder if in the future there will be kind of similar thoughts around like micro 
biomes and microbes and germs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like so much of, uh, of kind of futuristic literature is about like nanobots, you know, and kind of all the ways in which like our body is so made up of other species of, of creatures. Um, and that's a thing that we just haven't kind of reckoned with, but in a world where, you know, nature again, becomes more like commodified or where nature is like receding, you know, sadly, because of human influence, like in in the world, maybe we'll kind of turn our mythologizing to internal worlds or to nanobots or, you know, like I just, I don't know. I wonder if uh, different scales of nature and the way that we write about space, will we ever write about kind of things smaller than humans on the like, you know, scale of, of factors of 10? No, but I think you bring up a good point. And that's why I really like Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, because yes. it's the opposite of that. It is the, the nature becoming a invasive species rather than receding from human uh, human life. Yeah, it's not like a big thing that comes in from out of nowhere. It's like this small, slow creep of like moss and decay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is so wonderful. It's so like rich and humid and scary and like such a different, I don't know, such like a different face of a scary thing than I've ever encountered before. I like that. I like that a lot. In Brazil, there is the story of the Iara, who are uh, beautiful warrior mermaids that charm men with their voices and beauty and either drown them or turn them into Iara like themselves so that she can keep them as his, uh, as her lover. Amazing. Carry on. Mm -hmm. No criticism. I have no criticism whatsoever. (laughs) That is our dear woman, uh, stories. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the topic. I know we did do a lot of uh, talking throughout the episode, but I'm I'm curious to get your final thoughts on. Yeah, I think it is fascinating. It is so different. Like the you know various versions of the story that we looked through, um, they're so different to what I expect. And mm-hmm. I really love reading stories that surprise me because it reminds me of all the ways in which you know we have been socialized and taught to, you know, view life a certain way and to, you know, like certain stories or the templates we grew up with. Um, you know, we think of ourselves as the protagonists in our own stories. And, you know, it's just a reminder that like all the kind of things that I think are true in the world and the things that surprise me, the things that I find, you know, predictable and relatable, like those are all taught. And I think it's a really useful, um, a useful way to be like, yeah, like things that I think are really normal or natural, um, or that I don't notice because I have the privilege not to notice them, um, are, are taught to me by society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of us that grew up white, like have a duty to unlearn all of the racism that we grew up in. Yeah. Um, you know, people that grow up male have a duty to unlearn misogyny. People who are straight have a duty to unlearn homophobia. Like, you know, this goes all the way from ableism to ageism to, you know, all kinds of like Western centric, whatever the perspective is, um, you know, you are raised in some kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. You, no one is raised objectively and, um, it's not like a punishment. It's an exciting opportunity. If you want to view it that way to view the world more richly and empathetically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's, it's always, it's always the right time to spend time educating yourself. And, um, if you are born in a like non-advantageous uh, thing. It's not your job to educate other people. Yes. Um, in the case of like the dear woman is not out there educating you about how your sexuality can be a problem. Um, and they shouldn't because they're, they're in a position where they don't have to do that thing. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is it an example of how there is no like native American experience, no native American mythology. Right. And like, it's an opportunity f- to, you know, view this, huge group of people as way more diverse and, you know, I don't know, 
multifaceted than we thought. I'm really glad that I was able to do this episode. I'm glad that there were uh, resources out there of indigenous people giving first person sources because, you know, as as a white woman, I don't want to be reading a, a white man's perspective on, you know, uh, Cherokee or Sioux stories and lumping them all together. Yeah. That's, that's not what I was looking for when I was doing this research. And I feel as though getting those indigenous sources, uh, was extremely important. And I, I feel, I, I feel like I, not that I've connected with the story, but I feel as though I, I've, I've given the right perspective when, when talking about this, I didn't want to be talking about my experience I wanted to be talking about the experience of the indigenous people when talking about an indigenous story. Yeah. And we can, I think you did a really good job doing that. Um, and we can, you know, endeavor to understand a story in its proper context mm-hmm. and from proper sources, yeah. um, at this, and at the same time say, you know, draw parallels or discuss, you know, what it's, I don't know what our thoughts are, what it brings up in us while respecting that boundary and right. realizing that, you know, it's not, it's not my story to, make a center of my life yeah. or to, to presume that I understand it enough to, I don't know, to make it the same as like Irish changeling myths are to me. Um, but I am, I'm really grateful for the, for the kind of reminder of the importance of first person stories, the importance of storytelling and documentation. And, um, that, you know, Native American society is way more multifaceted and older and living and dynamic yeah. than we are led to believe. And, um, I would love if folks wanted to check out more of that historical database that you talked Mm -hmm. about earlier, we're going to put those links in the description. Yep, we will. And I just thank you for listening. If you have, uh, perspectives, if you are an indigenous person yourself and would like to talk to us about these topics, uh, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. We are so open to emails, to guest appearances. We would love to explore regions that aren't our own through, Mm -hmm. you know, the voices of people that actually have a, a stake in the game. Yeah. That's actually one of our goals for 2018. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And we would love your help. So if you know someone, if you have a favorite scholar of these topics, if you have a friend, a grandma, you know, a a relative yourself who you think would be uh, really great and and tell a great story, please let us know. Yep. And remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Spirits Podcast. We also have all our episodes, collaborations, and guest appearances, plus merch on our website, spiritspodcast.com. Come on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Throw us as little as $1 and get access to audio extras, recipe cards, director's commentaries, and patron-only live streams. And hey, if you like the show, please share us with your friends. That is the best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.